So I mentioned we have Mike and Penny. So I'm very pleased to ask Mike to come share with us. And uh, let's see what God's going to say to us through him. Thank you very much, Mike. Good morning, everybody. I just want to introduce you to my wife, my best friend. And uh, just celebrated her 80th birthday last two weeks ago. And so when... Uh, when I was talking to her, what would you like to do for your 80th birthday? She said, I want to go on a missions trip. So we went to Greece and linked up with a, an apostolic church planter there, a Swedish brother we'd known for many years before in Thessaloniki, where hundreds of thousands of Kurds, Iraqis, and some Iranians have fled to. And they're now housed in refugee camps. And they'd lost everything. They showed us on their camera, you know, their houses completely blitzed. They've lost their businesses, their homes, their families, their friends, their house, their car, their everything. They lost everything. And they've left it all behind and come to a new culture. And it's amazing how God turns evil for good, isn't it? So they've left their Muslim faith there, many of them. Coming to Jesus getting baptized near GNC. And so we had the great privilege and joy to go and visit these refugee camps and talk to them about Jesus. So that was our 80th birthday. <laughs> I want to, do you want to say anything, darling? I just want to say, um, so, oops, sorry. Such a blessing to be with you all. To be part of this feast of the love of God this morning is yes. so wonderful. I mean. That that is the whole thing, isn't it? The love of God um, chases us down, chases the worst sinner we know can, that we know down also. And the love of God can reach so far reaching. I mean, just forever reaching, forever. And that is really what it's all about. I thought again this morning, I was so grateful to be here, to be in this lovely worship and extolling the love of God, experiencing it and wanting to um, share with you how much it means to me, the love of God that, that just is beyond us humans totally. And so encourage all of you, reach out for the love of God. If you don't really know it, um, then ask him for it. He'll show you and also, that is what we have to bring to others, isn't it? The love of God. That's yes. what we're told to do. Love one another as I have loved you. And that's what we have to do. And we're not maybe one of the special people, the teaching people, the clever people necessarily. But what we can bring is the real essence of the gospel, which is the love of God that never, never fails and um, reaches out to those that don't know him. So thank you anyway, thank you so much. Whew, little preacher there. <laughs> Down. Yeah. I just want to thank John and Dawn for having us come again. And um, dear John, I just want to tell you, was my most loyal, comforting, strengthening friend I'd ever met and I'm not exaggerating, but it's over 35 years ago, and through the political machinations of evil in the politics of the church, we were separated, and then supernaturally, supernaturally, 18 months ago, God connected us again. And I found, and I mean supernatural, it was a supernatural thing that happened in my life, and then John, John managed to find me through an email, and then we came here. And it's amazing. As soon as we entered his home with Don and John, it was like... Don and John. What did I say? Don and John. John and Dawn. That happens often. I know, I'm a bit dyslexic. That's yeah. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just connected again. And so I, I'm deeply appreciative of this, this man, and he has been such a friend, such a loyal person, and I deeply honour him. Thank you. Yeah, you can clap, it's all right. And congratulations to those who, after the singing of that song, lifted their hands as an expression of giving my life to Christ and allowing God to come and capture me. 
congratulations to you. All of heaven rejoices over one person that repents. So congratulations to you. And I mean, it was just lovely the way that Nathan just enabled that to happen, wasn't it? And I wonder if I could ask you, if you have just given your life to Christ this morning, whether you've ever heard about the story of David and Goliath. Probably since knee high, we all know the story of David and Goliath. And I want to talk to you not about the story of David and Goliath so much as the story of David's head. Because what David did was he cut off Goliath's head, which is pretty nasty, really. And this great big 20-pound head was severed from its body. And uh, so I'd like you to just please look in the scriptures at 1 Samuel 17, where we read about this occurrence. It's verse 20, uh, 48. So it was, when the Philistine arose, that's Goliath, and came and drew near to meet with David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Do you find in life, when things come against you, you run toward them to confront it, or do you back off? I like David's courage. Then David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone, and he slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face to the earth. Now, actually, that was a miracle, a supernatural miracle by God, because the helmet would have had this protrusion down it covering his forehead. So it went straight through the iron. Got any stones in your sling? Going to need them this morning. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And all the children of Israel rejoiced. Now in verse 54, very interesting, it says this, and David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Well, I've been to the place where David slew Goliath in this valley, and it's quite a long walk up to Jerusalem, I can tell you. But the army was not going up to Jerusalem. It was going up to Bethel or to Hebron. And so as they passed Jerusalem, David turns left, dragging this 20-pound Goliath head and takes it up to Jerusalem and puts it on the ground, facing what is now the Temple Mount. Why did he do that? Seems a strange thing to do. You see, on the Temple Mount, on this place in the center of Jerusalem, which then was very small, but still the same piece of architecture, lived a heathen tribe called the Jebusites. Jerusalem was then called Jebus. And the Jebusites were heathens that God had already told Joshua to drive out, but he failed to do it. And so subsequently, they'd lived there for centuries. They owned the whole place. But there was something in David's heart that said, no. This place, which eventually be called Zion, the city of the great king, does not belong to Jebusites. 
It belongs to God's people, and it belongs ultimately to God's people because it belongs to God. You are God's. You belong to God. No, you're not God's. You are God's property. You're his real estate. You're not God. You're, <laughs> you're, you belong to him, and therefore, there should be no Jebusite in your life. They are squatters. A squatter is a person who takes hold of an empty home and lives in it, even though it doesn't belong to him. But when the true owner of that home comes along with his title deeds, and says, here are my title deeds, now you have to get out. So this special place to God was the place where actually Abraham sacrificed Isaac. That's how special it was. Same place. It's the place where the temple was eventually built. It's the place where Jesus, that city where Jesus was crucified, where Jesus resurrected, where Jesus ascended into heaven, and as we were singing this morning, where Jesus will return. Same city. Indeed, in uh, Psalm 132, verse 13, God makes it very clear. He says, for the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now, you and I are that city. You and I are that dwelling place where Holy Spirit dwells inside your heart. That's the place where now God desires to dwell forever. Eternal life, some have received this morning. I like the word desire. God desires you. God likes you. God wants you. God goes beyond loving you. He has a passion and a desire for you. And somehow, David captured God's desire for this little piece of real estate with its history and its future. Could I ask you, have you got any squatters in your life? Things that you've maybe tolerated that don't belong there. Could I ask you, is it time to say no? Enough's enough. Is it time for you to present an eviction order in the name of Jesus? For his glory, for his pleasure, because he desires you. Very challenging. So we'll just read on a little bit and see what happened. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, now you imagine here now the Jebusites wake up one morning, open the window, and they go, oh my gosh, what's that? That's so ugly, gross. Have you seen that? Who put that thing there? What is it? It's a skull. It's a head. Ooh, it's... A, it's a, why would somebody do that to us? We've been here centuries. We belong here. Now there's a confrontation coming. See, David's zeal and David's passion for God's glory and for the, to put things right, to bring justice, was the great motivation of his life. He said this, One thing have I desired... Psalm 27, verse 4. Actually, I've made my life first. You can have it too if you want. If you haven't got, haven't anybody here not got a life first? It's good to have a life first. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. We'll read it in a moment more fully. So, so in 2 Samuel 5 and verse 6. Here comes the confrontation. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. So this was their headquarters, but they conquered the whole land. 
I found in my life, if I compromise in a small area, it doesn't stay small. It grows. The devil wants to just get a landing strip in my life and then spread it out. He wants to defeat me so that I'm a Christian in name only. What God wants for me is I want to possess you. I want to dwell in you. I want to enrich you. I want to use you. I want to bless you. I want to increase you for my pleasure because I really like you and I find great pleasure and longing in my heart for you. Now that concept of how God views you becomes a highly powerful, empowering, motivating force in your life. David had it. He said, one thing I desire, one thing I'm seeking for, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his pleasure, to behold his beauty. Psalm 27 verse 4. That's what we're doing this morning, beholding beauty. Beholding that God just splashes out the mountains and paints the petals on the flowers and invigorates all the fish and the animals and but that's just a manifestation of the beauty of God it's not God we behold his glory you see you become what you behold you look at pound notes all the time your eyeballs will have pound note signs in them you look at pornography you look at women all the time a spirit of lust will occupy you you become what you behold. You look at the beauty of Jesus. You look at the beauty of the things of God. You look at the beauty of what he's behold, what he's made, what he's created. And it, and it causes you to change and become like him. So you become beautiful. That's why he desires you, because to him you're beautiful. The king, Psalm 45 says, the king desires your Beauty. We all like beauty, don't we? And why do women stand in front of the mirror all day long? And uh, no, men too. Beauty is irresistible. It's overwhelming. How could it be that God is actually overwhelmed by you and me? You say, oh, "I don't. I don't think that. I think I'm too ugly." Well, then read your Bible. Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 7 says this. He says, uh, I find no flaw in you. God is actually overwhelmed by us that God actually in his emotions can be disturbed by your love for him. When we were worshipping this morning, what was God's emotional response to it? When you were singing, this lady here, Hannah, hands in the air, worshipping, face smiling. What, what, what does that do to God's emotions? How can it be that we, the created, can affect the very emotions of God? I mean, just close your eyes for a moment. Tip up your head and say, I love you, God. I love you, my Father. I love you, Lord Jesus. Fill me, Holy Spirit. So in 2 Samuel 5 now, we'll see the second half of this incredible happening. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites and the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David, saying, You'll never come in here. Have you ever heard that voice when you're striving towards something you feel like God's given you to do? Who do you think you are? You're no good, 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 you're no good. I told you before, you're no good, you're no good, you're no good, you're a failure, you never make it, you never make it, you're no good, you're no good, you're no Day and night the accuser accuses. That's why we day and night worship. He spoke to David, said, You'll never come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. How mocking, how insulting. You ever hear that? You're just too weak, you're never going to make it. 
The blind and the lame will repel you, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever claims up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul, so he just turns the accusation right around and pushes it back on them. He says, what do you mean you can defend this citadel with the lame and the blind? You know what? I believe in God's power and God's grace. My lame and blind can take you out. We're not lame and blind, but if we were, we still could. Do you know, I think that we... We need to be, I know, I need to be strengthened with the fortitude of not being aggressively unloving to things that I tolerate in society, but how do I couple aggressive pursuit of justice with a gentle spirit? Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Interesting. Do you hate certain things? Do you know why I don't hate things when I don't hate things? It's because I haven't got God's viewpoint on things that God hates. There are things that God hates, and for me to tolerate them is compromise. Really. Not just in society around. I mean, it's easy to be hating child abuse and all of that realm. But do you hate sin? I mean, I really hate sin. When I sin, I hate sin. I don't hate myself. I hate what I've done. So he said, David said, the one who goes up this water shaft, he shall be the chief and the captain. Therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into this house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from Milo and inward. And David went on and became great. And the Lord of hosts was with him. I was visiting Jerusalem one time. And I went through what's called the Hezekiah Tunnel. Some of you have made, maybe been to the Hezekiah Tunnel, and you can actually walk through it, 3,000 years old, and there's still water in it. And then when you get a certain way through, almost underneath the Temple Mount, there's a shaft, very high, and you can look right up to the sky. It's about mm, seven foot wide, so it would be difficult to climb. But one of David's men went up there, and you, you can stand in the water and you can look up and you say, wow. And he went up that water shaft. It was a, some kind of fault in the rock. It went down into the water. That's where David's general went up. He snuck in. Jebusites, the lame and blind. You ain't coming in. He says, oh, yes, we are. We're coming in. You Jebusites are squatters. You don't belong here. It's God's property. Out. He snuck in in the dark. Went across the compound, opened the gates. There's David's army outside. Brilliant, isn't it? Another Trojan horse. And in they come. Jebusites never occupied it again. Even though Jerusalem has been reoccupied by 26 different times it's been conquered. So... In spite of the mockery and in spite of the impossibility, David's zeal and David's passion for God took him. You see, we need in our society and in our culture, as a, we need to be a church that's just not angry with things because they're wrong, but we're angry with things and we're against things because God is against them. That's the point. It's because our zeal and love for God and our passion for God is filling us in such a way that we are compelled to go. One thing I desire, one thing I'm seeking, says David, that I want to, I want to be in the presence of God. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold his beauty. That's intimacy. That's getting beautiful. When you behold God, when you... 
keep your devotional meditation on God, it will change you and cause you to be beautiful. You become attractive. That's a wonderful part of the Christian life. But it doesn't end there. He says, to behold his beauty, said David, Psalm 27, verse 4, and then, he says, to inquire in his temple. So that I believe intercession is the product of intimacy. There has to be intimacy first so that I get close to the heart of God and then I can proceed with intercession. So if I, if I want to know what's going on in my, my wife's heart, I've got to put my ear close to her heart. I've got to romance her a little bit. And then I say, so what do you want to, what do, you want to do? What, what, what should we do together? Shopping. So I, I, I've got the purpose that she wants for the day by first of all going into the romance of the day. You, you've been studying Esther, right? Enjoyed it? For me, the lesson of Esther is intimacy followed by intercession and the victory of God in the salvation of the people that she represented. So she spends six months with Hagar being beautified. There's the beauty realm. There's the intimacy realm. But that's, that's not the only thing. I mean, we are a beautiful people. I mean, look to the right and left. You may say, oh, I don't know. Yes, we are a beautiful people because we have to align ourselves with what God says about us, not what we say about one another. That's gossip. We want to proclaim and declare what God says we are. And we are a beautiful people because he's a beautiful God and he's put us in a beautiful world which is badly corrupted. So she beautifies for six months. And then I love it in Esther 4, uh, verse 6 or so. She says, to, she says to Mordecai, proclaim a fast. I'm going in. I'm going up the water shaft. I'm putting an end to this thing, this wicked Haman, the enemy of God, the enemy of my people, the murderer, the thief, the liar. He's coming down. And the very gallows that he's mocking me with shall be his mockery. She's quite a girl, isn't she? So she beautifies in order to get access to the king. Now, God has made you beautiful the day you got saved. It took David 20 years after he put Goliath's head there until he finally took out the Jebusites. We don't have to wait 20 years to get an eviction order on some of the things that trouble your life. Some squatter that doesn't belong there. It's not his territory. Jesus conquered it at the cross for us. We have to now implement that victory. And so I love it. I love it in, in chapter 4 in Esther. And she says, well, proclaim a fast... I'm going in whether I die or whether I live. So she knocks on the door, which was dead against Persian culture, had to be invited by the king to come in. Isn't it wonderful that our king has said, come with confidence, where you may receive at a throne grace and mercy. Any time we can go in. It's not like the Old Testament. We had to go through all this rigmarole. Jesus paid for it all at the cross. We now have access to heaven. You know, those moments when you're in the traffic and you get irritated. Oh, God, help me. Those moments when the children are being particularly obnoxious. Not in this church, of course. Lord, provide me more grace, more mercy. Those moments when that brother's disappointed you, that sister's let you down, when the promise has been broken. Don't let the Jebusite come in, occupy you with offense. In the end, our offense with one another is an offense toward God. We're offended with God because he's sovereign. He's in control of it all. So she beautifies herself for six months, goes in, knock, knock. Door opens, there's the king. <gasps> I'm overwhelmed by your beauty. <gasps> You've moved me. Oh, where's the scepter? Somebody got the scepter? Yeah, come on in. Beauty removes all ritual. And then, 
She doesn't get all desperate. I mean, she's hungry. She's been fasting. What do you want? Up to half my kingdom. You've read the story. I know you've been doing it. She says, well, no, I just thought we'd go down to that favorite Italian place and have a nice nosh together and a glass of wine. And so I'm up for that. I mean, he's male. So what, what, what did you want? Just thought we'd hang out. Second night, same thing. Intimacy into the king's heart. Next day, what, what, what did you, I mean, you know, I'm in love with you, but I'm not stupid. What did you really want? I want to talk to you about Haman, that Jebusite squatter. So out of the intimacy came the intercession. When did you last pray and fast as a church? And what for? It was a crisis, wasn't it? Do we only pray and fast in crisis? Or do we pray and fast for the purposes of God? Jesus said, when you pray, when you fast, not if. Very challenging, isn't it? Well, I'm going to invite you to come and pray with some people at the, the front here and present your title deeds and your eviction order to any Jebusite in your life. Identify what it is. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to admit it. What are the Jebusites? What anxiety is a Jebusite squatting on your life, spoiling your enjoyment of Jesus? and occupying land that he's paid for. What, what depression have you tolerated for centuries? What financial pressure has knit itself into the fiber of your being so you can't think outside of the pressure of money, that God is not really being Jehovah Jireh to you, God my supply. You know, he really wants to help you with that. That's why he died on that cross in the way that Nathan so vigorously explained it. What kind of lying Jebusite accuses you of the past? I love Goliath's head as a prophetic sign. He said, I'm taking the victory that God gave me yesterday and I'm putting it right in front of you for tomorrow's triumph. You like that? What relationship has a Jebusite whispering into the ears of the other person you? What area of gracious forgiveness and self-sacrifice would shift that Jebusite right out of your life? And as a church, See, Jesus didn't die for me individually or you individually. He died for us. And David's whole army went in. It was a corporate thing. It was an us thing. We're going in. So really the Jebusite wants to, yes, disturb us individually and therefore corporately, but really his goal is the destruction of the church, the diminishing of the church, the unbelief in the church. I love the way you worship this morning. I said to Penny, I said, you know, we sing the same songs at home, but it's not like this. Didn't I? I said, why is that? I said, I think it's presence. I love the way you respond spontaneously to the clap. Not before Nathan invited us to do that. No, <coughs> sorry. Um, wasn't Nathan, was it? It was Mark. Mark invited us to I love the way you, you spontaneous. Spontaneity is one of the most obvious signs of presence. You know, you've got a great thing going here, but I want to ask you, I want to challenge you, I want you to take more. Is there a Jebusites anywhere in the church, would you say? What hinders the church from its spiritual vocation? I'm asking and pausing so that your mind is engaging 
honestly. You know, it was a wonderful time of prayer this morning. It was short, but it was nice. But where were you? What do you mean, where were you? Well, Jesus had this passion and this zeal for the church. He said, my house should be called the house of prayer for all nations. So the main but not the only characteristic of the church in the end times, it's a place that's known for worship and prayer. I think it's very invigorating what you've got, but what more is there? Where does a squatter got to be removed? The use of time is very challenging because we live with so much demand upon our time. But, but where is the self-sacrifice in so many churches that I've personally visited where time is eaten up by the spirit of this world and the demand of this world? We're, we're, we're people, we're dead people. Alive to Christ, it's no longer I who live, it's no longer my will. And that's sacrificial. I applaud my wife who wanted to go on a missions trip when she's 80. Hope I can do the same thing in 10 years, 20 years time. <laughs> the spirit of this age is a squatter, a Jebusite occupying land that God owns. And the church is the deliverer. The church is the army to take it down. It's an army not of military weapons, missiles and guns. The main power is this incredible love coupled to wisdom, coupled to dynamic supernatural intervention. What do you think? I'd like to identify one squatter in your life. And if it would help you, come out, we'll pray together, and let's be done with this thing. You've tolerated it too long. But before I invite you to do that, I'm going to just invite our dear friend John to pray against the squatters that maybe are in his mind that he would be more aware of not only in this church, but Church UK, which I'm a little distant from. But you are a wonderful people. It's easy for me to say that because I don't know you all very well. <laughs> but you know, deep calls to deep. Spirit relates to spirit. And I, you know, I feel very much at home here. I really do. And I want to thank Daniel and Heidi for hosting us this week. We've had a lovely time with the children and without the children. Can't, can't think quite which one's been best, but... <laughs> lovely to see faces new and old. Let's stand, shall we? Okay, let's stand together. Were the whole realm of nature mine? That's an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Or oh, with those words still ringing in our ears from what we declared earlier. We now come before you because we believe, Lord, that you, you speak for us to hear and to do. Your promise is, Lord, that you would confirm your word with signs following. Lord, as Mike has shared from the word this morning, We've been faced up with the possibility, the reality of squatters. We pray now, Lord, for a time of confirmation with the powerful sign of deliverance being set free 
from those things which still would dare to possess those so-called Jebusites, those things which do not belong, which do not glorify you. Lord, where there is that squatter of unforgiveness, that squatter of unclean thinking, that squatter of resentment, that that squatter of of self-preservation, of self-interest, that squatter of I will make me comfortable, that squatter that somehow misses out on the place of intercession that causes us to run to do your will. We declare in the name of Jesus, this is the time for the eviction of these things. And we therefore now, Lord, ask you to help us to be real and honest before you and seize this opportunity by the power of your might, by the grace that rests upon your people. We come against every illegal tenant, everything that would dare to resist your plan and your purpose that may exist in our corporate life or in the lives of individuals. We come against that in the name of Jesus. We declare this now to be a time of eviction, a time of setting free, a time of overcoming. We go on, Lord, to say, what can possibly separate us from your love? Can height, can width, but nothing can separate us from all the fullness of your love. No angel, no principality, no power, no things present, no things to come. Nothing shall separate us from the fullness of your love and power in our lives. We choose now to take this opportunity to come before you. Confess and repent. And declare the ending of the squatter's residence and believe that you will confirm your word with the power of your Holy Spirit evicting whatever the issue is that we may walk free and clean in your presence. Grant it now, Lord, please. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the I hope that we've created by the Spirit a sense of indignation that these squatters should not occupy my life. Anxiety, depression, financial pressures, jealousies, sense of self-rejection. It's time for you to put it aside. And if it would help you to come forward right now and have someone pray with you and declare freedom over you, that will help you. I encourage you right now to come, come out of your seat, come forward while we're singing's going on and let's let's deal with some of these things eh how great the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness flowed through the shadows.
Later, knowing that all was now completed, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so he soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Lord, I thank you that you died to finish our sin to complete it, Father. Well, we thank you for that miracle. And Lord, we just declare for, for those of us that have stepped forward and responded to get rid of the squatters that it is finished. There's something that's completed here this morning and we stand in faith that your work is finished in this area. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If God's still meeting with you, then please do continue to, to feel free to stand in that place. I'll ask the worship team just to continue twiddling. Um, and feel free, if you want to chat to people, to step outside with your coats on. Um, at some point, the children will be coming back, so let's make sure we stay alert to the point that we need to collect them. Um, there'll be tea and coffee um, being had at people's houses, and that will appear up on the board here. Um, that's a good place to connect with people. Um, if you're new to get to know people, it's a bit big this setting to get to, get to know everyone here. But um, if you can meet in homes, there we are at Susan's house. And that will remain up so when it's unobscured, you can see where that is, but also you can ask one of the stewards and at Naomi Cramner's house as well. So stewards all have badges on, you can ask them um, or the person that brought you about that. Thank you very much for joining us.